Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. All right, we ought to pray. Lord, thank you for uh, this morning. Uh, thank you for what you did last night in my heart, and I pray that that might be revealed this morning through our, our study. In Jesus we pray, amen. So uh, uh, we've got to start doing diagrams, and we're going to start showing you the, the fractals. Okay, So these are, these are going to be repeating, repeating patterns throughout the Word of God. I, I got to at least tell you about loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness yesterday a little bit. We might revisit that, but we're not going to spend any more time on that right now. But if you notice where I put these, loving kindness is out of court. Why? Why is loving kindness out of court? Go ahead, tell me. Huh? The altar, right? Where was Christ crucified? Outer court, you get it? So the cross is outer court. It's something we've seen. He's demonstrated his love towards us through Christ crucified in the outer court in sight of everybody, under the sun. Okay, we need to make sure we understand that. So outer court is under the sun. We'll talk about that in a second. That's where loving kindness shows up. Where's judgment? That's in the inner court. And we're going to find out why. But it'll take a little bit, and that's very important. The thing I want you to remember about judgment, evil men understand not judgment. Therefore, if you're a godly man or woman, I would say you need to understand judgment. I think most of you do, because what happened last night was judgment. Did you get that? I wasn't happy about it. I did not like last night's message. And I'm serious. I didn't like it, right? But what I f- why, why do we embrace a, a, a message like that? Because we understand the value of it. You see, judgment brings righteousness. And, and, and somebody who's in the Spirit will understand that, and they'll, they'll embrace it. Two things can happen with judgment. You can either embrace judgment, or, bra- or judgment can embrace you. Those are, the only, those are the only two options. You either fall on the stone or the stone falls on you. Am I right? We can all agree with that, okay? So we're going we're gonna to have to understand judgment a little bit, and we're going to understand it in the inner court. And what the judgment's going to reveal is who we are and who God is, and exactly what Kenny was talking about last night. You're going to find out who you are in this inner court. And it's not going to be pretty. But we're going to find out who Christ is. And he's beautiful. Then you get to righteousness, which is the most holy place. This is the place we all want to be. We want to be in the most holy place. This is the place of salvation. I would even say this. I would write it this way. I would write this as the path to worship. I'm not sure I'm doctrinally correct, and, and you'll notice that. You know, sometimes I'm, I'm not sure about things. But I think worship doesn't start or doesn't happen until you get to the most holy place. But it does start in the outer court. It, it, it begins a path there, but it doesn't actually happen until you get into the most holy place. And hopefully that, that will come you know, with time to see. So, <coughs> I'm assuming that we all understand what the furnitures, are, you know, the furnishings are. We've got the brazen altar, the laver, we have the showbread, the candlestick, the altar of incense, and then the ark and the mercy seat, right? We all set with that? Don't have to explain that, right? Okay. So, we need to look at What's the source of light in each of these courts? It should be obvious that the outer court, the source of light, is the sun and the moon. 
And this is remarkable because <coughs> what is the sun and the moon to us? Okay, it's light. Do you remember? I said it yesterday. It's a clock. It's a clock. All right? You need to remember that. The sun and the moon are a clock. God has created in his wisdom, he's created the sun and the moon, the rotation of the earth, so that we might have a way of what? Doing math. I'm going to say math. My wife isn't going to be happy. I, I have to confess, Marissa did, she didn't rebuke me, she exhorted me. And I, I'm, I'm fearful that I wasted some of your time yesterday because I should have gone faster and I spent a little too much time on math. But I love it. So, anyways... This is, this, is, this is the clock out here. If you notice, when they built the tabernacle, there's no roof on this, right? We all, we all good with that? There's no roof here. This is open to the sun. This is under the sun, right? So we could write this under the sun. Okay, so now we're in the inner court, What's the covering on the inner court? Anybody know what's, what's covering the inner court? What is it? Badger skins is the outer layer. There's four layers. Anybody know what the four layers are? Speak up if you know what the four layers are. Come on, somebody knows the four layers. You pastors, shame on you. Four layers. Badger skin, what? Did you say chicken wood? What, what did you say? Chicken wire? No, there's no wood. Oh, oh, yeah. You're probably thinking about the ark. Listen, on the outer, on the on, what's the roof? What's the roof covering? There's four things. There's there's badger skin. There's what? Ram skin. There's what? Goat skin. And then there's linen. There's no sun coming through that. You understand? That's all we need to... There's a whole study in, in those four layers, but you need to understand that this is a sunless place. So what does that tell you about the inner court? If it's got no sun and moon, what doesn't it have? Time! It has no time! You get it? Come on. Keep up with me, all right? There's no time in there. What does that mean, if there's no time? I'm outside of time. What's outside of time? Revelation. Revelation is outside of time. Once you get outside of time, that's when you get insight. You see what this is? This is sight. This is insight. I'm going to prove it to you. So where's the, where's the light in the inner court? Where's that light coming from? The candlestick. What's the candlestick like and unto? The Holy Spirit. What's it, what is it illuminating? The showbread. What else is it illuminating? You. And what's it doing in there? It's casting a shadow on the wall. And when you see the shadow of the unsaved man, I'm going to prove this to you. It's what Kenny was, was preaching last night. It's a beast. It's a beast. That's what the unsaved man is likened unto. Look at Ecclesiastes. We're going to look at Psalm 73. What does, what does Job come to the conclusion of when God reveals himself to him in 38? By the time he's in 42, what's he saying? I have what? Anybody know? I what? What does he say? I abhorred myself. 
You got to get there. What's this? If it's the Holy Spirit that's illuminating, where's the light here? Where's the source of light here? What is it? Where's the source? There's no sun. There's no candlestick. What is it? The glory of God. It's His very presence. He is light. He's light. The light is Him. The light is Him. You ever read that verse where it says that He resides in darkness? You ever wonder what that means? (laughs) He's light. He, he resides in darkness. He doesn't, he doesn't have a source of light other than himself. Everything else is, is really just a manifestation, right? We, we understand that when we look at the sun and it's S-O-N in Malachi, right? We go, oh, there's, there's a picture of the light. Where to be the light? Where? In the outer court. We're going we're gonna to look at that later, probably tomorrow. This is all about light and shadows, folks. It's very, it's, it's very convicting, but it's very enlightening. Uh, sorry to be the, you know, the pun, uh, but anyways, uh, the light is him, and this is eternity. <laughs> so if, if, if this is... Uh, if this is time, this is outside of time, this is eternity. Are we good? You okay with all this? Any questions? Hey, my helper. Okay. <clears throat> We could do a couple of things. Um, let's 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 just talk about. Uh, there's a couple of things we could talk about. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about David and Nathan. I'm just going to expound on this a little bit. What does what does Nathan bring to David? Okay. No, he doesn't. He... The first thing he brings to David, this is when he's going to, uh, to tell David he's, uh, he sinned with Bathsheba, right? And killed Uriah. The first thing he brings him is a picture. Do you see that? So he brings him a picture. This is sight. This is under the sun. What's he bring him? Insight. What's the insight he brings him? Thou art the man. That's the insight. Do you see that? Thou art the man. And what does David get? Forgiveness. You see, forgiveness isn't here. There's no forgiveness in the inner court. You know why? <laughs> okay, hang on now. I, I interviewed a couple of pastors about things like this. And, uh, so, you know, I do this quick thing. I go, okay, uh, what do you think about, you know, most, you know, uh, outer court, inner court, most holy. If I say these three things, where do you think they belong? <coughs> and some pastors, I think, get it wrong. You know, they, and some of them will just say, I don't know, which is fine. But one thing every pastor gets right, without fail, is he gets this one right. He gets, he, they always get this one right. They get... This is Egypt, 
This is the wilderness. And this is the promised land. You get it? Where does God give Moses the law? Outer court, inner court, or most holy place? You might say, well, he went up and he was in the presence of God and that's where he got it. You could argue that. He gives it to him in the wilderness. He's in the wilderness. He's going to set it up. This is where the law of God is. What's the law of God do? Does it save you? It kills you, right? For the wages of sin is death. That's the law of God. You know, there's no grace in the law of God. God, when Jesus Christ suffered the law of God, you know what God said to him? Or what, what Christ said to the Father? Why hast thou forsaken me? You say, is the law good? Yeah, the law is perfect. And it cannot perfect you. It's a schoolmaster, right? So you have Egypt, the wilderness, the promised land. And by the way, just so, you know, these things I'm just throwing out there. You know, I'm going to liken today as like planting seed. Remember I said that? Uh, I go out and I plant seed with my grandchildren in the garden. We break up the ground like we did yesterday. And now it's time to plant. I get my seed. And what I do to my grandchildren is I go, here's some seed and I've got some seed. I'm going to plant it. Watch Pepe. I'm a Pepe. Watch Pepe plant the seed. I'll put, poke my hole in the ground. I'll put the seed down. I'll cover it up. They've got a handful of seed. I go, you do the same thing. So some of these things, I'm going to poke the hole and show you. Other things, I'm not. I'm just handing you the seed. You're going to have to plant it. We understand? Is that okay? Yeah. Because I don't have time to plant all this seed. So we'll just do it. So you got Egypt, you got, here's a seed. What's there? What's there? Water. Water. What's he doing, creation? He separates the waters, the firmaments. First heaven. Second heaven, third heaven. That's going to be good uh, to know when we when we study Paul. Okay, so so you've got this thing going on where there's a movement towards worship. Everybody see that? We good with that? We good with this one? Uh, I did say picture. I didn't, give you, I didn't give you the other thing. You got picture. Uh, this is a mirror. I should use the red marker. So here you have picture. Here you have mirror. Here you have vision. Or some people would call it window. But that's all right. Either one. You get the point. <laughs> you ready? Okay. <laughs> okay. You know what I'll do? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plant the seed. All right? So... I'm going to plant one so you can see it. Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. And, and here's one. I just had to do this because 
I know you're going to get this one immediately from Exodus, but here's, here's a lamb. What's that? The lamb. What's that? You're a lamb. Everybody okay with that? You see that progress? Okay. So what's Psalm 73 about? Well, if, you, if you're there and look at it, uh, I'm not going to look at it. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you can kind of peruse it if you're not familiar with it. But what you're going to see in Psalm 73 is the same progress. The same pattern is going to be in Psalm 73 that we're talking about. Uh, let me use the red. So, Psalm 73, you got 1 through, verses 1 through what, 16, I think? If you look at 1 through 16, what's the problem? Anybody familiar with this? Can you tell me what the, somebody out there tell me what the problem is? He's seeing the wicked prosper. He's an observer. He's seeing things under the sun. He's seeing things in the outer court. It's very confusing to him. Why are the wicked prospering and I'm not? I'm, you know, like, I'm a good man. I love you, Lord. I, matter of fact, he even says that he gets to the place where it, it's just overwhelming to him. He can't, he can't comprehend this. Do you understand that? That's Psalm 73. But something changes. Everything changes when he what? Anybody got 17? Somebody want to read verse 17 out for me? Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I Where's he going? He's going into the inner court. Give me the next verse. Go ahead, read it. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. Next one. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? What's he seeing? He's seeing judgment outside of time. It's being revealed to him outside of time. He even uses the word moment. That's going to be a big, that's going to be a big word in your Bible. Because what does Paul say at the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 4? He says, but for a moment, this light affliction, right? It's but for a moment. And he's comparing it to what? Eternity. This was a breakthrough for me when I studied uh, Luke chapter 4. Because I never fully comprehended this. How on earth does Satan show... Jesus Christ, all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. Now, you might think that he's showing them the kingdoms of that particular time. No, no, he's showing them the kingdoms of the world. You know, the you know, past, present, and future. How does he show them, how does he show Jesus Christ all of those kingdoms in a moment? Does he, is he, does he do a miracle? Is he capable of miraculous things like that? Can, he, can, can Satan somehow you know, conjure up this miracle that, that I can show you? No, it's no miracle. That's all they last. All the kingdoms only last for a moment. Doesn't he say a drop in the bucket or something? We put way too much weight on time. You know what time is? <laughs> it makes men miserable. And it does God too. God suffers time. Long suffering. Long suffering. In Ecclesiastes... It talks about time and judgment is what makes men miserable. That's what God is suffering with us. God waited for me for 22 years. Thank goodness he waited. 
And he suffered through it. And he suffered me through it. He suffered my sin and my, you know, thanklessness and all the things. My disbelief. You know what all that was? Misjudgment. Me misjudging Christ. This is what Christ suffers. He suffers time and judgment. You know what he's asking us to do? Suffer time and judgment. Where? In the inner court? No. Not in the most holy either. In the outer court. This is where we're to be a testimony. Is in time and judgment. Yeah, you're going to suffer with Jesus? Yeah, you're going to have to suffer time and judgment. Be patient, he says. Patience is a key to suffering time and judgment. And our model for patience is Jesus Christ. I could never understand. He came here for 30 years and suffered us. You know where it says, uh, I'm going to get preaching now, I'm sorry, but i got to say this. <laughs> Do you know where it says that Jesus had no place to rest his head? I went to India a few years ago with two of my sons, and we, we, we visited with Brother Kumar, Ramash Kumash in, uh, in Bangalore. And one of my sons said, Brother Kumar, I just want to go to the, uh, what do they call it? The slums, yeah, we used to call it ghettos or whatever. He says, I want to go to the slums. Can, can you walk us through the slums? He said, sure. So we parked the car outside the slums, and we walked through the slums. And it was so remarkable that after a half an hour walking through the slums, you know, making the, the, the trip through the slums, my son, Paul, who we just started our trip there, said, I can get on the plane and go home. You know what we learned that day? We walked through the slums. There was no place for me to lay my head down. There was no place I would have felt safe. There was no place I would have felt comfortable. It smelled. It was dirty. It was wicked. My poor, my poor kid he sees this woman who's afflicted. She's got some kind of paralysis in her legs, and she's begging. And Paul's, he's got money in his pocket. He's got some rupees, you know. Uh, <laughs> and he puts his hand in his pocket, and Brother Kumar says, no, don't do that. Paul says, what? He says, don't give her any money. That was so foreign to us. What do you mean you don't give her any money? This poor woman's begging. She needs my money. He said... Look at, you see all these eyes? You see all the people that are looking at us? We're, I'm dressed like this in the slums. He said, you give her money, they'll kill her. They'll kill her for it. There's, there's, there's fathers that break the legs of their children so they're better beggars. I'm only telling you this because I was so appalled at being in this environment and all I was doing is coming from the United States to India. Jesus Christ came from heaven to this stenchy place. No wonder he says there's no place for me to rest my head. Do you, You understand what Jesus Christ did? He humbled himself, Philippians chapter 2. And he gave us access to God Almighty. You might think you smell good this morning. In comparison to heaven, that's not true. You stink. So getting back to Psalm 73. Anytime I go off, you can always tell me, Ezra, 
You say, why? Because this kid, I was preaching Ezra, and this kid that was in my college and career, I would get off the track of Ezra, and he would yell from the audience, Ezra! So I said, okay. So 17 to 22, we have insight, right? You see that? Got insight outside of time. What happens after that is what we get here. Uh, consolation. You say, where do you get consolation? Out of Hebrews. It says it's a strong consolation beyond the veil. You can look it up. I think it's Hebrews 6 or something like that. So there's consolation. Yeah, it's six eighteen through 20, consolation. <coughs> 6 through, uh, what did I say? 18 through 20. All right. <clears throat> see, what else can we do with that? So this is what I'm going to call this, all right, for our, for our uh, discussion. And hopefully you can agree with this. This is observation. This is revelation. And this is consolation. That's going to be important to understand. All right, we we could talk for a minute on... uh, on, on the law. Remember I told you the comings and the goings? Well, this is, this is kind of like your path to salvation, right? We get that? There's a path to salvation. Observation, revelation, consolation. My consolation is not found in revelation. What I mean by that is just because, just because you, you know the truth, because it's been given to you through the Word of God, you, you don't have this. You only have this when that truth puts you in a place on your knees. Because this is how you access this, is through repentance. We okay with that? So this is, this, this is a place where I go in repentance. You know what we'll do? We'll do fear. You want to talk about fear? Sure you do, right? <laughs> Guys, you know, if you don't want to talk about fear, just let me know. Let's do it. Okay. So here, you fear everything. <laughs> here, the revelation the revelation should bring you to the fear of God. Because this is, this is the entrance into wisdom. Right? And what do we have in here? If that's the fear of everything and this is the fear of God, what's this? What? Fear of nothing? I like that. I never thought about calling it that. I'm going to call it no fear. Now, some people have a hard time with fear because they say this, because they think the Bible contradicts itself, which it, it, it does. It contradicts our wisdom. The greatest contradiction of all, by the way, they even use the word. Does anybody know what the greatest contradiction is in the Bible? It says contradiction. He suffered contradiction, right? Jesus Christ that Christ died for sinners. The greatest contradiction. In the, that's, like, that's a contradiction. Fear of everything. You say, where do you get that, Steve? Well, they're in the ship. And the, and the, you know, the storm is going crazy, right? And what do they do? They fear the circumstances. They fear the outer court. And then he comes up from below the ship where he's resting, comes up, he rebukes the sea, 
Who do they fear? Him. Why? Because he reveals himself to them. They go, oh my goodness. Who could do this but God? Now they have the fear of God. And guess where they're going? Where he always intended them to go. To the other side. Here's another one for you with fear. This is, this is very good. This is Proverbs. This is Ecclesiastes. This is Song of Solomon. Everybody okay with that? <clears throat> you work on that. That's a seed you can plant. All right? Here's, here's what I want to use it for. Proverbs, out of court. Easy to understand. We have a book at home. It's called Proverbs for Parenting. You know what? Very, very applicable to any circumstance that you have as you're traveling through the outer court with your kids, right? I mean, you know, it's outer court stuff. Proverbs is outer court stuff. It doesn't mean it doesn't reveal things. It's just outer court in general. You know what Ecclesiastes does? How many times does it say under the sun or things are vain, vanity? It's explaining the outer court. <laughs> it's telling you, this is what you're seeing. Here's the explanation for it. And by the way, at the end of Ecclesiastes, what's the conclusion of the whole matter? Fear God and keep his commandments. Once I do that, once I have the fear of God, I repent, I go into the most holy place, Song of Solomon, where's the fear there? Gone. It's gone. I'm in his presence. Perfect love casts out fear. I go in with fear. That's how I need to go in, is with fear. You know why? Because he's the only one that deserves your fear. Your fear, your fear empowers whatever it's afraid of. If you're afraid of snakes, the snakes have power over you. If you're afraid of the circumstances, the circumstances have power over you. If I fear God, I've given him power, and you know what he does with it? He's a good steward of it. He doesn't use it against me. He doesn't manipulate me like the world does. The world, you think about the politicians right now. You think about the marketing for products. You know what they do? They work on your fear. They work on your fear. You should be afraid of this. You should be afraid of that. And what they're using it for is their own gain. I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ is the only one that will be a good steward of my fear. And I ought to give him all of it. And what's remarkable about it is when I give it to him, he takes it away. You sing Amazing Grace? Do you sing Amazing Grace here? I hope so, at least once in a while. It says, Grace that taught my heart to fear. And what? And grace that what? Relieve my fear. You understand fear? I'm telling you, this tabernacle thing, these fractals, this math will change your life. It'll change the way you look at your Bible. It'll change the way you consider even what appears to be contradictions. Oh, imagine men sitting around arguing whether they should fear God or not. I've been in those arguments. And they want to change it. And this is why the language is so important. You change that thing to respect, you've got bad doctrine. God doesn't want, what's he going to do with my respect? That's self stuff. 
You know what my father told me? And he wasn't a saved man until later in life, but he, he had some wisdom. When I was 16 years old and I screwed up, he said to me, he said, son, this is the way it goes. I want your respect. But one thing is going to be sure. You are going to fear me. And you know what it did? It kept me from doing stupid things. You ought to thank God he's asking you for his fear. And don't compromise with anybody on it. Don't give in to that junk. I keep wanting to swear. But anyway, don't... <laughs> I'm really trying to be good. I even asked Alan, I go, is this, like, are women going to be here? And he said, yeah. I go, oh, my goodness. <laughs> Marissa, you know what? Marissa asked Alan, she says, do the ladies have to be in the morning sessions? And Alan says, well, yeah, yeah, you would be in the morning sessions. And Marissa said, oh. <laughs> Want to come up? <laughs> oh, really? I got to be in the morning sessions? Okay, <coughs> we're, doing, we're doing okay, we're doing okay, um, at least we're doing better than yesterday. All right, I love this, I, I love, I, I love what I'm going to show you. I just, I just love it. I even put it in multicolor diagram for myself. <clears throat> this is actually years ago. I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, but I love it. You can actually break down Romans into the tabernacle. And we've been talking about coming, and now we're going to introduce going. But Romans is a good place for us to do this, because what you have in Romans is you have Romans... One through four is outer court. I can't spend a lot of time on this because I, I would do the whole, I would do today and tomorrow just on this. But what I'll tell you is this when you study Romans one through four, and don't 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 hold me to exactly four. It transitions into five. It's four into five. But what you have is the outer court. You see observation. As a matter of fact, it shouldn't be surprising that we have like Romans chapter 1, verse 20, where it says, you know, the invisible things are clearly seen, right, from the creation. It's outer court stuff. It's outer court stuff. This is where the indictment against man is, is, is written. This is the affidavit against man. But what happens in, in 5, 6, and 7 is revelation. Do you see that? Now Christ is revealed. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. So 5, 6, and 7 is not only revealing Christ, but it's revealing us. And by 7, what's happening is you're getting revelation as to the fact that you can't trust your flesh. And this is what's happening. Is, is you've got the beginning of Romans, is the indictment against man, then you have the insight into who Christ is and who the flesh is, right? But what's eight? Everybody loves eight. If you don't love eight, you ain't breathing. Do I have glasses? I didn't put them on my head, did I? Oh, I got them in my pocket. I got to read this to you. I love eight. I love eight, because eight is the most holy place. You know what eight says? In verse one, after the flesh. In verse two, spirit of life in Christ Jesus made, hath made me free. In verse five, things of the spirit. In verse nine, not in the flesh, but in the spirit. In verse 10, if Christ be in you. In verse 11, spirit that dwelleth in you. Verse 14, sons of God. We're called the sons of God. In 15, spirit of adoption. In 16, the spirit itself beareth witness. In 17, if children, then heirs. In 18, the glory which shall be revealed in us. In 23, 
First fruits of the Spirit. In 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? In 37, more than, say it, conquerors, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the most holy place. This is where we have intimate, remember Song of Solomon? Now, there's some things, because we're in a mixed crowd, I'm going to moderate my... Marissa gets nervous. And some of you are going to feel uncomfortable, but I'm going to try to be nice about it. But God has given us a pattern in the relationship between a man and a woman that is really a mystery. And it is to be done alone, not on TikTok. You get what I'm talking about? And it's difficult to speak about this because of how perverted our world has gotten about this. But it is, it is one of the essential patterns in the Word of God when a woman and a man become one flesh. I believe, now this is just my conjecture, don't, don't say this is you know, from the Scriptures, I'm just, I'm just throwing this out to you, I'm letting you know, you know, a disclosure. I think it's the closest thing to a spiritual experience even an unsaved couple can have. And Satan wants to destroy it more than anything, and he targets it, and God uses it as a, as a picture of even Israel as the wife of God committing adultery. The reality is, in the presence of God, there is a communion that occurs that is that is greater than what we experience here, husband and wife. And it's called knowing. He even uses that, right? Doesn't he use that in the King James? And, 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 Seth, you know, and Abraham knew her, right? I mean, wake up. It's a pattern. The words are important. Do the math. Embrace the pattern. God, now some of you are going to throw me out. But you got to get this. God hung on that cross naked. He doesn't expect anything less of you. Take your righteousness as filthy rags and become naked before God. Now, one of the reasons why I don't like to be taped is when I say things like that. Can you imagine somebody taking that out of context? This is where worship happens. But it doesn't stop here. It's our journey to worship, to be in that Romans chapter 8, that Song of Solomon place. And because we don't follow the pattern of Aaron, we're not of the order of Aaron's priesthood. We're after the order of whose priesthood? Melchizedek. That's the order that Jesus Christ is after. He's the order of a resurrection. He gives us access. Jesus Christ has given us access to the most holy place. And you know what he says? This is wonderful, but we can't stay here. we got to go out. You know what Romans chapter 9, 10 and 11 are? You say, I had a hard time with this. I'm like, okay, I know it's in the inner court. Because I know 12 and beyond is the outer court. That's obvious. We, we've already heard that. So how is 9, 10, and 11 the inner court? It is the vetting 
Do you know what that word means? Vetting? Like somebody's vetted like uh, as an expert witness or whatever. <coughs> it is the vetting of the, of the New Testament church. You say, no, 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 it's about Israel. No, 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 it's about the church in the context of Israel. It, it reveals to us where we are in the context of, of his promise to Israel. This is where people get messed up when they end up with false worship or false religion is they forget <laughs> that Israel is God's wife and we're his bride. And when you start thinking you're his wife, you end up being a Mormon or a Jehovah Witness or half a dozen other cults because you think God's done with Israel and now I've taken the place of Israel. And in 9, 10, and 11, he's telling you, don't be so conceited. Yes, we are. You are my bride. But here's where you are. You're in this time of grace. Behave like it. You get, you get what I'm talking about? And then in 12, this is easy, right? 12 on, here you have, you know, you, you can argue that the last chapter is kind of a summation, but when you start looking at these, these chapters beyond, what you have here is a transition from the inner court to the outer court. And it's already been preached. I loved it, you know. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's what our job is in the outer court, is to present our bodies a living sacrifice. And what you have here is uh, things like, yes, sir? Oh, sorry, yeah. Oh, man. Thank you, Tr Troy. I got disoriented. This is 12. So, <coughs> what you have there, you know, even think about this. One of the wonderful things about if you learn patterns in your Bible, you're probably going to have a pretty good idea of where to go. If somebody asks you a question, like, like somebody asks me a question, they go, Steve, what's our relationship with government? I go, well... I know it's not in the beginning of Romans. I know it's not in 8. I'm sure it's not in 9, 9, 10, and 11. Because that's an outer court thing. He's asking me about man's law. Remember that I talked, did I already do this? This is man's law. This is God's law. Anybody know what this is? Huh? Anybody know what that is? No. <laughs> you need to study this. It's the law of liberty. That's where you want to live. That's where your power comes from. Your power comes from the law of liberty. So, these courts tell me where to even look so I'm thinking, well, that's an outer court question. I know where to find that. That's probably in Romans, after 12. And where is it? In 13. That's how I'm to behave in the outer court. You say, should I, should I obey man's law or God's law? Yes. Should I obey God's law or man's law? What's the answer? Yes. <laughs> Figure out where you are. Figure what court you're in. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Let's, let's rightly divide this thing. Even Jesus, even Jesus submitted to man's law. Do you know where Jesus was killed? Which court? Who killed 
Jesus in the outer court. Who killed him? Rome did. Not even the Jews. It was Rome. Why did they bring Jesus to civil authority? Because he was going to get crucified in the outer court. Where was Jesus Christ killed in the inner court? Think, think, out of time, outside of time, before the foundation of the world. You say, what was he? Was, was Jesus killed before the foundation of the world or was he killed 2,000 years ago? Yes! The answer is yes! <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? You know what confuses us? Time. I have, I have women, uh, mostly women, they come to me after their husbands died. And what do you think they ask me? What do you think the number one question of somebody after they've died is? Can my husband see me? Do you think he's looking down upon me? You know what probably 99% of pastor's answer? Oh, I'm sure he does. You know what the right answer is? I think you're confused by time. I think you're confused by time. <laughs> Isn't time confusing? Outside of time. He's outside of time now. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question, but I know this. The confusion is because we're in time. And you're thinking in time. You're thinking outer court. Everybody thinks outer court. Stop thinking about outer court. Start thinking inner court. Start thinking most holy place. Paul goes to what heaven? The third heaven. How does he come back? Like on a suicide mission. He can't wait to get back. But he's got to do the job, right? He's got to do the job. He's bringing that third heaven vision to the inner court in the most holy place. We okay? You guys are doing great. I don't know. Am I doing all right? Okay. One thing I will say about eight is more than conquerors. Anybody know what more than conquerors are? What's a conqueror? If I go conquer another uh, country or, or a city or uh, whatever, what do I do? Huh? I rule it. I, I have authority over it. I kill people, right? I, I destroy what are they doing? They're conquering, they're trying to conquer Ukraine, right? What are they doing? They're destroying it. They're killing people. You're more than conquerors. What is it that you're called to? We're not, we're not called to destroy the enemy. God does that in his time. I'm here to rescue him. I'm here to rescue the enemy. Totally different tactics, different strategy. As a matter of fact, how are, they going to, how are they going to be more than conquerors? By exercising whole, whole other subject, we're going to get into it probably tomorrow, charity. That's where this whole thing goes, baby. It's, it's driving. We're driving to charity. The most charitable act in history was when, Christ, when God gave his son. And what are we supposed to be? Following that pattern, when Paul says, death worketh in me, but life in you, he is more than a conqueror. You get that? Death worketh in me, and life in you. What army, what strategy does uh, a worldly army live by that? I'm going after the enemy. I'm going, I'm going, I'm going to conquer. 
more than conquerors, and death worketh in me, that life in you? Yeah, that's the strategy. It, it seems contrary to our, our thoughts. It seems contrary to our logic. It's perfectly reasonable when you do the math. And what's the math? I'm going to tell you, the, the thing that, that people mess up, the biggest reason why people have bad math is they don't calculate for the resurrection. They don't calculate in the revelation. And what they do is they get consumed with the outer court visuals and they forget to factor in the inner court in the most holy place. And it needs to be something we travel in and out of, the goings and the comings. And this is the only way, you know, here's, here's another one. And I think, I think I've got to shut down. So here's another one for you. And this is going this way now. Troy, I am so thankful you picked up on that. I, that's a mess me to do that. We're going this way. Philippians chapter 3. Know him. We already covered that, right? We understand the intimacy of what he's saying. Know him. Philippians 3.10. What's here? Power's resurrection. What's here? Fellowship of his suffering. Here's what I want to give you. <laughs> this is who we worship. This is how we worship. Folks, I got bad news for you. But it's wonderful. This is where we worship. I've heard a lot about worship this week, and I don't disagree with any of it. But, what do they say after the but comes the truth? You know, Kenny said it last night. If you think worship is limited to the church, all you're doing is an inner court thing. Yeah, you're worshiping in the power of the resurrection. Oh, I'm a new creature. I'm a, oh, bless the Lord. Oh, thank you for saving me. You're worshiping the right thing. You're just not worshiping in the right place. The place to worship is in the fellowship of his suffering. We're going to talk about patience. We're going to talk a lot about a lot more tomorrow about this going this way. But if you're here saved, you know how to get into the most holy place. Now we're going to figure out what God expects us and how we get out. We okay? If you disagree with anything I've said, I want you to tell me. Because I'm going to preach this a lot. I already have. And if I'm wrong, and you're a pastor here, and you figured out where I'm wrong, and you don't say something, shame on you. Shame on you. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for uh, this morning, for what you've given to us. 
I pray that we might worship you in truth, spirit and in truth. Pray for Alan this morning, for what he's going to bring to us. Pray that you'd use this time in a mighty way in all of our lives and that it might make a difference in us. In Jesus we pray, amen. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.